The splatter pattern on the windows was absolutely spectacular. It had ruined the cream-colored upholstery, marred the floor mats, and covered the electronics panel. And there was other matter that had dried on every surface as well, probably bits and pieces of Morrow's skull and brains. I had seen similar crime scenes in my work for a major insurance company back in Manhattan. And of course, when I'd first come back to Buffalo and entered Matt Sumner's love nest, crime scenes had been my specialty. For a time. Then downsizing ended that career, and the rest, as they say, is history. My friend here, Sam said without introducing me, has an uncanny ability to observe things not readily apparent to folks like you and me. Rodriguez gave me a sullen glare. We're wasting time, I said, and waved my hand toward the car. Shall we? Rodriguez pulled a few latex gloves from his pocket, donning one and handing me two. He opened the driver's side door. A shudder ran through me. Sam had indicated I wasn't going to have to relive Morrow's death, but he didn't protest either. Coward that I am, I didn't want to appear weak in front of this beefy-looking stranger and swallowed down my revulsion as I scooted onto the driver's seat. Almost immediately, Morrow's residual terror enveloped me. He'd stared straight ahead at the darkened expanse of lawn, the headlights cutting a swath through the night, with the barrel of a gun pressed against the back of his skull, pleading for his life. He'd invoked the names of his wife and children. He'd begged. He'd appealed. But the one thing he wasn't prepared to do was divulge the whereabouts of the millions and millions of dollars he'd stashed in some safe place, somewhere no one, least of all his killer, was ever likely to find them. That same flash of light, remnant of the near-death vision, caused a shudder to run through me, and I practically jumped out of the driver's seat, feeling unnerved. Rodriguez turned his hard stare from me to Sam as if silently asking, What the hell? It took a couple of deep breaths for me to regain some tiny semblance of normalcy. Sam said nothing but gestured toward the car's back seat. My head was already beginning to thump. Why had I ever agreed to put myself into such an unpleasant situation? For a free lunch? Crap, I could eat a box of store-brand mac and cheese for far less than a buck. I didn't need to be bribed with filet mignon. And still, there Sam stood, expecting me to lay aside all my fears and just thrust myself into what was literally the hot seat of a killer. Stupid me. I did it, but not without reluctance which I was pretty sure Sam could tell by my expression. He looked worried, but his concern wasn't enough to put a stop to this little endeavor. My ass hit the seat, and I was enveloped by an aura with which I was already familiar. It was the same one that had been attached to the chalk cube. He'd held a Glock with a full clip. His voice had been reasonable, chillingly reasonable, as he'd outlined the consequences of not giving the answers he required. But after sitting in the driver's seat, I knew that Morrow had believed, known, that no matter what this monster promised, he was as good as dead, and he'd been right. But things that hadn't been clear to me when sitting up front came into sharper focus when compared with the sensations the killer had experienced in those final minutes, seconds, before the world and Morrow's head had exploded in a shower of blood, brains, and bone. Again, I practically jumped out of the back passenger seat, my breathing harsh, as though I was suffering from an asthma attack. Are you okay? Sam asked. I had to hold it in. Rodriguez was staring at me like I was some kind of imbecile, 
while Sam looked cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I said, my voice tight, and felt anything but. Rodriguez slammed the car door shut and held his hand out to collect the gloves. It was a struggle to peel them off my sweaty hands. The cop stuffed them into his uniform slacks and then held a hand out to usher us out of the garage. I had no choice but to meekly follow in his and Sam's wake. Once we arrived at the place where we'd first entered the garage, Rodriguez turned to Sam, his expression hard. We're done. Don't ever call me again, he said in a tone that held no semblance of friendship. It's been a pleasure, Sam said with a smile. But I could tell by the timbre of his voice that he wasn't happy about the situation.